Hi, I'm Jess. And I'm George. And this is Transpantastic, a podcast about gender, identity, orientation, and all the life that happens around it. Like podcasts. Yeah, sometimes we, we get there. I listen to a lot of podcasts. You do. Yeah. I listen to a whole, whole ton of podcasts. You do. And I listen to some of those. Often you'll send me one or two of them and make some comments about it. Sometimes I'll just select from the ones I know that you listen to because that way we can have a conversation about it. Yeah. So recently when we were traveling, I was listening to a podcast in one of those categories and I was really struck by the, this was an interview with a trans woman who was talking about, at one point, what it's like to be perceived as being part of the binary or being presenting yourself in a way that people see you as part of the binary, but knowing that that's not really your camp. Yeah. And I really liked that conversation. I really related to it because as a trans man who transitioned medically so late in life, mm-hmm. I could never find myself relating to that. And may- maybe there's other guys who could, mm-hmm. other trans folks on far ends of the binary who do relate in that way as binary. But I even seeing myself as a man, I see myself as a man, as a trans man, and as a queer because I lived in the queer lifestyle for so long. That is my culture. Yes. And I think I was fooling myself about that because if you consider, you know, how I look and how other people do perceive me, I also live in this partial world of where the binary people come from. Mm. That sounds like one of those. Attack of the binaries. (laughs) I was going to say like fantasy stories of weirdness, but anyhow. It's like a Twilight Zone episode or something. (laughs) Yes, Twilight Zone. But then when I do things like go to my sister's house and I'm really in the binary Mm -hmm. with the binary folks, I feel like I know I'm a queer and, but I have somehow gotten into the binary zone and there's a stage light on me because I'm in there. Uh-huh. You know, of watching for binariness or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just, it makes me very aware while I'm there how binary things are. Right. At their house and in their life and everywhere I look around. That's when it, it always highlights for me that that's not my place. I am very uncomfortable there. And I think in part that has to do with not ever, you know, relating to that life as a young queer. I mean, how do we, how do we know who we are or, you know, if you're binary or not? I mean, you know, you're not. Well, and a lot of people who grew up in much more rural or isolated communities, especially more conservative communities, whether geographically isolated or socially isolated, will say, you know, I didn't realize this was something I could do. I didn't realize this was something I could be. I never thought that, oh, yeah, of course I'm a guy because everyone is telling, like, my entire universe is telling me that I'm a girl. Like, they had no sense of this is actually a thing that could ever happen. Mm-hmm. You, you need those role models. You know, there's a, there's a saying in in advocacy, you know, especially with um, young people that if you can't see it, you can't be it. Mm-hmm. It's about, you know, like the importance of those role models. Like if you don't have that in your world already presented, it's very hard to come up with it on your own. Right. Well, in my own life, in relating to that, I always felt 
like I was supposed to be a boy, mm -hmm. even as a very young person with no role models I could think of. I mean, the closest, maybe first role model I ever saw was on a television show called Soap. Oh, gosh. Mm -hmm. And so somebody acting different, you know, if, if your brain is connected to that in there, some, if your mm -hmm. brain has the connectors for it, yes, it connects them, connects those dots. And you say, oh. And a lot of us, especially a lot of us from, you know, pre-millennial generations, Gen Xers, boomers, etc., who, uh, or even like the early millennials will, you know, acknowledge those problematic representations as their first sense of seeing themselves, even though the person I identify with is always the butt of the joke. Even though the person I'm identifying with is spouting so many problematic tropes, it's still a sense of, holy fuck, I see myself. Right. So, in any point of my daily life, I find myself considering how do the people around me perceive me? And how do I manage that or change it or whatever I, I feel I might need to do about it, depending on, you know, things like safety math or being the scene example. You know, yeah. those are two. Now, describe safety math. It's been a while since we've talked about safety math. So, safety math is where, as as a queer person, and as many women do, because I lived in that type of a body for a long time, mm -hmm. you have an awareness of safety factors that may be occurring around you, and you have to math them in order to come up with how safe am I, and what do I need to do to increase my safety, or keep it at the if this is the highest level I can get it to keep it there, you know. And the safety is anything from being physically or emotionally harmed, which may already be happening because now you are doing safety math. Mm. So the emotional harm this is, is a given. This is a thing that's becoming uh, an understood element of living in a marginalized identity, regardless of what that marginalized identity is, is that simply by existing, you are in a abusive relationship with the rest of society, mm -hmm. and you are living with trauma on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. But continue. Yeah. So you're trying to decide, will I get further injured by the danger around me? Because there's always danger. Mm -hmm. And can I can I increase, you know, my chances? Will it kill me? That's always a question. It just as, is. As Cousin Vinny says, half the world looks at me and says, can I kill it or can I fuck it? Yes. So there's safety math involved. Mm -hmm. And then hopefully connecting to other, you know, similar folks around you, other queer folks that mm -hmm. might be nearby, recognizing them. They may or may not recognize me. Yep. I look like a little old man, so. You do look like a little old man. Yeah. If, I, if I was younger, I might stand out more as a trans guy. Well, it's funny because I've, I've met a few people lately who, like, they'll see pictures of you and they'll say, oh, yeah, he's got trans guy baby face. Okay. Like, when you've got your hat on, mm -hmm. you look like 30. And uh -huh. when you take your hat off and there's that big head of gray hair. Okay. Look. So there's a, that's a thing that I do. If I want to increase my safety math, I take my hat off. Yep. Yeah. Cause I'm not a young guy then. And so young guys will treat me differently. Yep. I have less chances of being killed or maimed at that point. Good job. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for not getting killed or maimed. You're welcome. As I said before, we actually started the episode. I like you alive. I appreciate it. <laughs> 
Yeah. So yeah, I look I look uh, younger with my hat on, but my beard is darker and my head is grayer and balder than it was. So yeah, once my hat is off, I look like a little old man. Yes. And uh, people treat me very differently. And it is sometimes very funny to see what will happen in the different presentations you can give to the world of yourself. Mm-hmm. Sometimes those being indications to others who are seeking you out to know what their safety math is. Mm-hmm. I have a trans flag watch band on. Mm-hmm. That type of thing. Yep. And they, they will see it and they will know. You That increases their safety chances. Yes, because your presentation is very passable, you do tend to flag more so that you can still have recognition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I'll decide I need to wear a trans shirt to a an event because I want people to be able to see it from, you know, a dist- a certain distance, which is harder with a watch band. But anyhow, <laughs> um, but it's there. Yeah. Trying, trying to put those things there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we were, we were just, I really related to the, how does this work in where am I in it part of the discussion on being seen as part of the binary? Because that's a age old trans discussion as well is there's a part of us saying, why should it matter? And at the same time, obviously it matters enough that I had to do all this mm-hmm. for myself, hormones, surgery, etc. To get comfortable. Absolutely. And it's that weird space of acknowledging that this really shouldn't matter. Gender shouldn't matter. But in what ways shouldn't it matter? Because, well, obviously, it should matter if it matters to you and you want it to matter. And solving your problem with a binarily gendered solution makes you feel better, then it's totally valid that it matters. And being able to differentiate, you know, the sense of it shouldn't matter societally, but it... It so does. It so does. Yeah. And the the sense of prescriptive expectations versus descriptive expectations and how those apply societally as opposed to how they apply personally. Mm-hmm. Like prescriptive expectations say it shouldn't matter. Descriptive expectations say, oh, it so matters. Prescriptive expectations says kids should have dinner on the table by five o'clock on a Wednesday. <laughs> descriptive expectations says it'll get done somewhere between 5.15 and 7 o'clock. Yeah. So, yeah, like the sense of should it matter to a person? Well, yes, if that person feels like that is the right solution for their needs and their identity. Mm -hmm. Should it matter in society? Not really. Does it matter? Yes. That sucks. Yeah. And how to live in those discrepancies. Mm -hmm. So, you know, speaking of all the things that we do to make our bodies fit, you are waiting on your final surgery. I am. uh, Well, what we hope is your final surgery. Oh, yes. (laughs) Sorry. Mm -hmm. Just just offering the descriptive expectation as well. Well, and that... (laughs) Yeah, and that was a question that I was asked the weekend before last. Yes, Mm -hmm. you were at Cousin Vinny's and you went out with some friends while you were there. Mm -hmm. And one of them was this trans femme that you've been talking to for a while. Yes, and we were taking a walk. And I had said that I was set up for what I hoped was my last surgery. And they were asking me about uh, 
they were curious about what that was for me in a sense of, the sense I got was in part, uh, this is a topic that we're discussing and it's important to you. And so I'm also interested in what's happening here. And this is a conversation that is fairly comfortable with other trans folks. This is Mm -hmm. typically a conversation that, you know, like in community, you can have these conversations. You would not respond quite so favorably to a cis person asking about your junk. No, but I'm the one who brought up the surgery and they know it's a trans surgery and they know it's coming up. And even with other trans folks, unless I know somebody for a little bit, I wouldn't necessarily know if I'll feel comfortable Mm -hmm. talking about what's going on for me, depending on what boundaries have I discovered they have or don't have. Mm-hmm. So if I'm comfortable with the you know the way they approach things, don't don't feel like they're running over any boundaries that are there. We we ended we ended up talking about the upcoming surgery, and I was a little more open about that than mm-hmm. than vague. Yes. Um, although sometimes I think I'm being open, and uh, apparently I am being very vague. But anyhow. <laughs> Yes, this is a communication difficulty we have uh, long since established, but continue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, they were asking as we began our walk, so is this your last surgery or, you know, because this, this has been going on the whole time I've known them. I've been in the midst of surgery or surgery recovery because that's been my year. Mm-hmm. So, we were talking a little bit about that and they asked me if this was going to be my last surgery or, you know, trying to get an idea of what are you going through and also maybe how that relates to them. Mm-hmm. You know, but that's how we have conversations in the world, correct? Apparently. Yeah. And they they mentioned some other folks they knew that had surgeries, some of which came out the way the person wanted it or didn't want it to come out. And, and I mentioned the rate of compl- complications is really high. And we talked a little bit about hyperbarics and they didn't know anything about that. And so mm-hmm. we had a good conversation about the benefits of the hyperbarics. Okay. And then I think we probably talked about kids and stuff like that. But yeah. But on the way back, they they came, they, they came back to they it. They came back to it and said something like, "So does that mean you you can't have that va- you can't have vaginal sex or you can't use your vagina for sex? Like you can't use your vagina for sex or something like that?" Mm-hmm. And I very happily said, I don't have a vagina. Yeah, I was very pleased to say that. All gone. Yeah. I didn't think too much about why does somebody ask that. You did. But I just thought, wow, I haven't had ever, I've never had a chance to say the answer to this so happily in my life. <laughs> That's so great. You know? <laughs> Um, And of course, you weren't thinking about why someone was asking about how someone might interact with your genitals. Right. No, I wasn't. Hmm. Well, I think there's there's other reasons for that, too. Because in the circumstances of the conversations we had had before we, I decided we should be taking a walk. Mm Mm-hmm. They had recently had, they have kids and their kids live with their ex and their ex's family. They do not live immediately in the Bay, the kids and the ex. They live in central, the central valleys where everything is very conservative. It is. And they had had to go to court for something there. And my poor little friend came back from all that, deciding that they needed to stop their hormones. They needed to be prepared to detransition if necessary. So that they could go back and live in the area where their children are and that sucks survive ass. there. 
They really thought they sucks. wouldn't be able to pass. Mm-hmm. I disagree with them. But? But I understand the concern. Absolutely. And also- That's their safety They'd now. have to pass. I think they feel they have to pass in the binary system. Mm-hmm. And they do not relate to the binary. They are very non-binary. Yes. And they can't be themselves there. Mm-mm. They can in the Bay, but they cannot- Right. In- In the, the Central red, Valleys. In the Red Country. Right. Yep. So- it was really a, a rough patch for them mm-hmm. to be not on their hormones and feeling like they couldn't be themselves. Mm, that's very hard. Yeah. And I also knew I couldn't talk them out of it, but I could talk them into a walk, which would at least be good for us. Yes. And I did say, I am going to just say my opinion, that I think this is not the best time to stop, stop your hormones, especially all by yourself Mm-mm. without your doctor's help. <laughs> but anyhow, I managed to say, okay, we talked about this. You're stopping your hormones. I disagree. That's a bad idea, at least not without assistance. And um, But I'm not going to talk you out of that. So let's take a walk because that would be a good idea. And so we we're each going to use the bathroom so we could go take a walk. Mm-hmm. And they were taking a very long time. I mean, such a long time that I tried to call you <laughs> because I thought you might be going to bed and I didn't want to miss the chance to talk to you for a minute. Right. And I was in the shower when you called and then I felt terrible that I had missed your call. <laughs> well, and I, I know what that feels like because I'm, you know, been the person at home waiting for a thing and, you know, mi- missing it or potentially missing it is very hard. Whereas I was busy, so I wasn't thinking about that. I thought, well, I'll just try you back in a little while. You're yeah. probably in the shower. But I thought, what what is going on? Is this like, is there some kind of girl thing happening that needs to be fixed before we can go outside, like mm. presentation wise or what is happening? I have no idea. And then they when they came out as we started walking, they said they have a very small urethra mm. and so it takes them forever to pee mm. if they're hydrated which they were and mm. and that's how we got on the conversation about surgeries and so gotcha. forth and about bodies and mm-hmm. differences and they had had a doctor talk to them about it some years ago mm-hmm. and gotten I thought was not a good recommendation of how to fix it and I, I told them you, you totally need another opinion yes that's that sounds like bullshit to me so <laughs> um, yes yeah well, and I know that our lawyer friend who had a stricture after his lower surgery mm-hmm. had um, urethral dilators mm-hmm. that he was supposed to use. Right. And I know, or I have met, I should say, I no longer talk to her, but someone who was into urethral sounding. And so, like, I know that these things exist and that they should be able to be applied in a therapeutic manner. Right. And I might ask them about that if they know about those things or have heard about them Mm -hmm. when I talk to them sometime again. Because I often do talk to these various folks that I've been talking to, other trans folks about body things. Yes. Now, another speaking of that, another thing on that Gender Reveal podcast that you were listening to that sort of perked up your ears was the way that we have these conversations differently in different contexts. Mm -hmm. And that made me wonder... How do you feel about having those conversations in all of the different contexts? Like, for example, you've had to have that conversation with like your sister and your work wife or former work wife. And, you know, a lot of people who understand what's going on, but like don't really grok it and may or may not have the presence to ask the right questions or avoid the wrong questions. And additionally, how do you feel about talking about all of these things to our listener friends? 
a, a random audience of we don't even know who. I don't have any concerns about talking to our listeners because we've been doing that mm -hmm. about everything yeah. for a long time. Okay. So I don't really think about that. Okay. I did. I did. There were points when I used to think about it sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I know various people who we know that listen to us, who I have no idea at any time how much they know about whatever I've talked about on the microphone. It's funny to have a quasi parasocial relationship with your actual in real life friends. Yeah. But continue. Yeah. And then with other people, it's it depends on your audience. Like with my former work wife, I might give her more information than I would somebody else because I've you know, I've had a fairly close relationship with her long enough that I'll just say, Well, probably TMI and then give her a very short version of something. Mm -hmm. And she hasn't squawked at any of that, so that seems to be okay. Define squawked. She hasn't given me any indication that she's uncomfortable with the amount of information okay. I'm giving her. Okay. So I'm when I'm saying to her, probably TMI, I'm offering her the chance to say, yeah, TMI. And she doesn't. Okay. Yeah. She just says, okay, you know, but I do give the shortest mm -hmm. explanation possible. My sister doesn't tend to ask questions. She mostly worries and there's not a lot of ways around that for her. But I see there's no information for you. It's completely vague. Sorry. But with my sister, I, I know that almost anything is TMI. And so I try to be very careful. Mm -hmm. But give her enough information that she doesn't need to worry more. Mm. Whereas like with my aunt, who's going to forget everything I just said, and then ask me exactly what I just said. Um, like, for example, with my aunt, I'll say, my surgery is on the 24th. And she'll say, okay, and when are you going there? And I'll say the 23rd. And she'll say, okay, well, I just, I didn't know that. And I wasn't sure. And so when are you going there? Right? Yeah. So that's the kind of conversation we have. And what kind of surgery are you having again? No, she's, she's done with that. She's never asked? No, she's stopped asking that question. She used to ask it. Now she's decided that she either understands or she doesn't understand, but there will be no further understanding or not. That, I don't know which. That is kind of great. Yeah. I think she'll ask me that again as we get closer. Okay. But it doesn't matter what I tell her. Like I said, in a minute later, we'll come all the way around the circle back to the question I just answered. As and when are you going again? No, not again. She's asking it like it's a new question. So, so tell me when you're going. I wasn't sure. And then because she's not sure, she's asking you because she's just forgotten what you told her. Uh-huh. So that that's a whole different audience. For the most part, my closest friends do want to know how comfortable I am, if things are working well, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's good. Mm -hmm. Now, when we were making notes last night, you mentioned that like part of the reason that you put off this medical transition until later in life mm -hmm. was because you had this sense that men are weird and gross. So many men are problematic. And when you and I were first together pre-transition, we both would tell each other, men are weird, women are crazy. Thank you for not being either. Right. But you are a man. <laughs> I am, but you act like one all the time, so I'm I'm weird and gross, I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not weird and gross. Um you do things that are stereotypically seen as male, but that's that's beside the point. It doesn't matter if you're gonna, you know, throw your dirty socks wherever and leave everything in places. But um <laughs> 
I definitely, it, it definitely was a hard thing to come up against to know how much damage I saw men make in my life or in historically or, any, you know, any knowledge of it. You can turn your head slightly and find it mm-hmm. of what some guy has done. Don't be oh, that yeah. guy. Don't be that guy. Um, so not having been put in that category in the first place by our culture, mm-hmm. I saw myself as very separate from it. And the, I mean, who wants to relate to the offenses that are regularly given, right? And I've I've talked to other trans guys about that and heard other trans guys talk publicly about how hard it was for them to recognize and accept the male side of themselves Mm -hmm. with the amount of damage that toxic masculinity is so readily available. Oh, for fuck's sake. Um, You know, we all wanted to avoid that. And so we also then were avoiding part of ourselves. Mm -hmm. So Because you don't buy into the patriarchy and you don't have a lot of those toxic tendencies and you don't want to associate yourself with a lot of those toxic tendencies, but our culture is going to associate you with them anyway if you pass in a Mm -hmm. binary mode. They will. So with that understanding, is your sense of masculinity ever at odds with your personal history or with your sense of feminism? Oh, I think it, it, it constantly is. It's constantly at odds with each other. In what ways? Well, because the way I see myself is not the way other people see me. And so if they're seeing me in a binary way and I know that that's not me, or like like so many times when we've talked here about experiences I've had where I go out in the world and I go to the urgent care and the medical people there are all women and they're like, oh, here comes another old white guy Mm. and they're going to have to deal with me. And then when they find themselves not dealing with me, but actually interacting with me, it's confusing to them. Sometimes people then can change their track or their script and move on from there. Sometimes they're just baffled and don't know what to do. So even if I change the script and I'm listening, or I'm waiting, or I'm quiet while they're talking. It doesn't change the cultural script they've been given. And I'm aware of it Mm -hmm. the whole time. Oh, yeah. And so it doesn't come naturally to me to be that guy. Thank God. But I see, I, I see those interactions being unusual for them, the people I'm interacting with. Because right. I'm not, I don't think that way. Okay. And also, if I do something, which happens less frequently, but if I do something that I realize then is perceived to be very typically, could be taken as toxic masculinity, mm-hmm. I'm horrified. Like, oh, that's not the way I was trying to do that. Mm-hmm. But most of the time, I, I realize after the fact, whatever I just did is not typical. And then I know, I, I recognize why. Mm-hmm. Not typical for you. Not typical for my, what looks like my kind. Okay. Yeah. Whatever interaction I've just had is not typical for my, what looks like my kind mm-hmm. of person in the world right. to most other people who deal with the binary. Right. And unless they somehow can see you as another queer, mm-hmm. the rest of the people are just not sure what's going on. Right. But I am aware of it. In in what feels like almost every interaction, I question. Like today, when I stepped into a clinic and I wasn't sure what needed to happen, and I stood at the desk and waited because the woman was busy, Mm -hmm. I was aware that I wasn't sure what she was expecting from me. Mm -hmm. And that she was trying to gauge what I was going to do, and that I was trying to gauge what I was supposed to do. Well, and the fact that like you would just like stand there and wait for her 
to respect her authority in that setting was already already I'm not being a typical mm-hmm. little old white guy. Yes. Yeah. Why is this guy just standing here? What am I supposed to do with him now? Is or, there something else he wants? Hold on. Yeah. Or the other thing that she might have been thinking is, oh, he's going to ask for something and I'm going to make him wait because I need to assert my dominance or my authority in this situation so that he will listen when I have something medical to tell him. I have experienced that. I know, I don't take offense at it at all. I understand completely what's happening here. <laughs> right. But I was just waiting because she was doing something. Yeah. And I let her know, oh, yes, I'm here for my appointment. And I would like to change these appointments if I'm able to do so at this time. Right. That's good. And then I waited. And we managed to get it done. But I'm aware in all these interactions that I am probably not doing the thing they expected me to do. Because mm. I spent decades not doing the thing. Mm-hmm. And when I did it looking a different way, it was more accepted. They were, they felt understood. And now I just confuse them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Is that better, worse, or just lateral change from before presenting as a butch dyke in a more femme presenting body? Or everything is better after transition. Okay. Everything. Good. Yes. I'm glad. Whatever the problem is, it just seems more manageable. Halla fucking Luya. Right? I love you. I love you too. So is there more to any of this for tonight or I think for tonight there's not Okay. I think that's it for tonight, but I think we'll probably have more to say uh, when we get there. I think so too. Alright then. Alright, that's it. We'd love to hear from you, so let us know what you think or what you want to hear about by emailing us at transpantastic at gmail.com or by commenting at our website, transpantastic.net. Don't forget to subscribe in Stitcher, iTunes, or your favorite podcatcher, and leave us reviews and star ratings. Disclaimer time. We are neither your doctor nor your mental health professional. We are here to discuss our own lives, so we take no responsibility for your decisions based on our discussions. If you are considering transition, please seek professional assistance. If you are considering parenting while transitioning, you definitely need professional assistance. All contents are distributed under a Creative Commons no-derivative license and may be shared freely in their entirety. Any alteration or less-than-complete reproduction requires permissions of the hosts. Thanks for listening! Hi. Hi. I almost drank that wrong. Start oh. coughing. Thank you for not drinking <clears throat> it wrong. I appreciate that. You're welcome. Thank you for not choking. You're welcome. I like you alive. <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> Are we ready then? I think so. Okay. Is that the washer? No. I don't know what the thumping is, but that wasn't what I was worried about. That I can pull what more easily than the, about? the cars that were driving past, and oh. now they're not, and so we could start. Go ahead. I'm waiting for the quiet. Hi, I'm Jess. And I'm George. <laughs> that was a very weird sleepy dog sound. Mm-hmm. That was a very that weird me. belly tummy George sound. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs>